Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, as of the time of this podcast, we're just ending 2022 and beginning 2023. And I'll tell you what, for me personally, I have learned more spiritually in this year of 2022 than I have in the last 10 years combined. Uh, some of that is just through some of the experiences and and difficulties um, that, that I and my family have gone through. But but it's just been a rich year for learning. And I believe this with all my heart. If you don't continue to learn in life, you will die very quickly. And I mean, literally die very quickly as humans uh, and as sons and daughters of God, we should be constantly learning. So I want to share these 22 lessons that I've had to whittle down. I had probably about a good 30 or 40 strong deep lessons that I learned, whittle them down to 22 lessons that I want to share with you today. All right, well, let's get started and kind of kind of put a, a cap on 2023 with 22 things that I learned in 2022. How many of you learned something in 2022? Raise your hand. I want to see. I'll tell you what. If we aren't learning, we are dying. If you're not a learner, you're, you're making your way to the grave very quickly. All right? It's very easy as Christians after a decade, after 15 years, to start thinking for some reason that you know it all, and you never, ever know it all. None of us know it all. God is infinite. This earth is amazing. Uh, only what, 5 to 8% of what can be known about the ocean is known. There's so much more in the ocean to be known. And there's so much more in the universe to be known. And then you consider God's infiniteness, his endlessness. There's so much to be known. 22 things in, what, 30 or 40 minutes? I better fly through this, all right? So see if some of these resonate with you, and let's get started. These are in no order, all right? In fact, they're somewhat random, but here it goes. Here's the first thing, or one thing that I learned in 2022, and it was that God's power will unlock your provision. And all of these are kind of stated in, in kind of first person because that's how they came to me from the Lord, through prayer, through reading the Bible, through experience, through living my life. I learned, and God told me this, my power will unlock your provision. So what does that mean? Stop focusing on provision. Stop focusing on trying to make money. Stop focusing on your personal security and start focusing on God's power. God's power will unlock your provision. So should you be pursuing provision or should you be pursuing the power of God? Now, several years ago, um, I was used to having a, a business mentor, a work mentor, someone who is far older than I that had been there and done that and was training me and mentoring me. And so I had that for several years. I had one for seven years. And then the next couple of years, I had another mentor. And they weren't self-proclaimed. I didn't go out and get them. They were just good bosses that helped me grow professionally and personally as well. Neither of them Christians, but both really good men. Well, after those nine years, I quit having mentors. And I went into the stage of just like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. I don't have a good boss. I didn't have somebody who was kind of guiding me. And so I started praying, God, give me another mentor. And the Lord came back to me and said, can I be your mentor? 
Well, at the beginning of this year, I had a similar experience. And I felt the Lord tell me, can I be your provider? Can I be your provider? Let God's power unlock your provision. He is your provider. That check that you get, that deposit that you get doesn't come from the government, doesn't come from an employer. It comes from heaven. God is taking care of your needs. And here in Genesis twenty two fourteen, it says, um, Abraham had said, in this place, the Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Isn't that awesome? God's power unlocks your provision. All right, well, number two is a verse. Here's the second lesson that I learned this year. This was my verse all year long. I can't think of any time in my life when I had a verse of the year. But this year, this last year, I had a verse of the year, and it was this. Written in the Amplified uh, Version, it reads this way. If then you have died with Christ to the material ways of looking at things and have escaped the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of material or externalism, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? If you died to have to having a nine to five job to supply for your needs and turning to your creator and saying, my God is going to provide my needs. I died to the worldly way of being provided for. Then why am I acting like I still belong to the world? Does God want you to have a job? Yes. Does God want you to work hard? Yes. But he wants you to trust in him for your provision, not in yourself. I challenge you to meditate on this scripture and let it sink in and realize I'm not subject to the limitations of this world. I'm not subject to the limitations of a salary, of a bonus, or not having a salary or not having a bonus. I'm not subject to the limitations of what a doctor's telling me or what medicine is telling me or what my medication tells me. I am not limited to any of that because I died to those limitations. Wow. Number three. Man, I better make some good time here. Number three. Worship of God. I should have... I don't think I worded this very well. Worshiping God activates his sovereignty. Worshiping God activates his sovereignty. First of all, what is God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty says he comes in, you're sick, and he says, you're healed. Boom, it's done, it's finished. I am sovereignly healing you. Sovereignty is him going to a drug addict and saying, you're free from your addiction, no more addiction, you're done. God's sovereignty is when he comes into a toxic relationship and rescues the abused person and says, we're done, we're finished with this, I am sovereignly delivering you from this relationship. That's God's sovereignty. So don't you want God to start doing those kinds of things? Just coming in, boom, bang, doing whatever he needs to do and rescuing people left and right. Yeah, we want that. What releases God's sovereignty in your life? Worshiping God. Worshiping God. What did we just do just now as we were singing to the Lord? We were worshiping him. And if you indeed were worshiping him, he's going to start doing sovereign things in your life. He's going to start making good, solid decisions for you. He's going to start making things happen in your life. Paul and Silas were sitting there, and this is one of our readings for this week. They were sitting there. They were chained in a city jail. 
and they were in stocks, and they were in the lowest part of the prison. And in the midnight hour, the Bible says, and as we read Acts, we'll get across this story, and we'll, we'll study a little bit more. But in the midnight hour, they started singing to the Lord. Where could you be in the same situation? You could be in a hospital bed, laying there, unable to get out of bed, and you start singing praises to your God. And in your midnight hour, you'll have the same thing happen to you that happened to them. Their chains fell off. The doors opened wide, and they were rescued from that situation. I won't tell you the rest of the story because I want to wait until we study Acts for that. You worship God, and God's sovereignty is going to come into your situation, and he's going to make things happen. So worship the Lord. You don't need to wait until Sundays to worship the Lord. You can be washing the dishes and singing a song of praise to the Lord. You can be driving your car, listening to K-Love or some other Christian music and praising God. You can worship God anywhere you are, in your bed, while you're at work, while you're typing on your computer, whatever it is. Number four. This word came to me over and over this year. Nothing, Steve, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Can you imagine really believing that and saying, nothing is going to hold me back ever again in my life. Nothing is impossible for me. Do you believe that? I have trouble believing that. I don't know about you. I have trouble believing that. Why don't we start believing that nothing is impossible for us? After all, in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus tells his disciples, because you have so little faith, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, you can say to this impossibility, you can say to this sickness, you can say to this habit that you have, get out of here, move from here to there and get out of my way and it will be done for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Number five. Every minute, and this is for me, okay? So I'm saying it to you. Every minute you spend listening to negative and fearful thoughts keeps you from God's faith-filled thoughts. So it's not just about getting rid of the negative thoughts. See, when you get rid of the negative thoughts, you make space in your little brain. Maybe some of you have bigger brains than I do. But you make space in these between your two ears for a faith-filled, positive thought, from hopeful thought from God. So why don't we just get rid of our negative thoughts and our fearful thoughts and those enemy thoughts that come into our minds and say, I don't have time for you. I've got to have a little bit more time for uplifting thoughts, for faith-filled thoughts. Instead of what if I'm going to die, what if I'm going to live? (laughs) Instead of what if I'm going to be sick the rest of my life, what if I get healed today? You know, instead of saying, what if I'm poor the rest of my life? What if I have an abundance of financial supply in my life? What if something good happens to me this year? You see? Let's get rid of the negative thoughts and make room for God's faith-filled thoughts. And they aren't empty thoughts, believe you me. When he gives you faith for something, it's because he is going to do it. It is going to be accomplished. Number six, God kept telling me over and over again, be bold, be courageous instead of being fearful, victimized, and helpless. In Joshua 1.7, look at this. It's funny. Juan and I were talking about two of these things back there, but Joshua one night says, God tells Joshua, have I not commanded you? 
be strong and be courageous. So when we say, God, I can't do it, doesn't matter. He told you to be. So buck up and start being bold and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, God told Joshua. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit, which we're going to be talking about here in the coming weeks, is with you everywhere you go. Number seven, I will sustain you. Now, the Lord speaks to me in pictures sometimes in my mind. Call it weird. Call it unusual. That's just how it is. He, he shows me things with kind of just pictures as I'm praying. I get a picture, and there's no way I came up with that myself. You can't. I didn't dream it up. God just showed me something. One, one time early this year, God gave me a picture that will be in my mind the rest of my life, and I want to put it into your mind as well as a memory, something that you can refer back to. I don't know if you've ever seen these pictures of, there, there's, I think it's in Utah, there's these salt flats that are they're, they're wet, and as the sun is setting, if somebody's standing on the salt flats or there's a car, they've done commercials out there, it looks like the car is like suspended in air because the reflection of the sky is on the salt flats, and it looks literally like something is just suspended in the air. Well, I had a picture of that, of me and Tina, my family, in, in kind of just that just suspended in the air, and I thought, well, what on earth am I standing on if I'm, if I'm suspended like this? And I kind of beat my foot down, and it was almost as if you were standing on some plexiglass that was super thick. I jumped up and down on it. It wouldn't move. It wouldn't shake. And the Lord told me, I'm sustaining you no matter what you see or no matter what you don't see. And God is sustaining you even whenever your circumstances tell you there's nothing there. You're, you're going to fall. You're going to break your neck. You're going to have disaster in your life. God say, no, I am going to sustain you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? It, it gives you incredible trust, incredible confidence in the Lord. Number eight, Jeremiah 33.3. This is another verse that kept coming to me throughout the year. But the Lord kept showing me, call unto me. Come on, Steve. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you don't know. You don't know that you're standing sustained in God's right hand. You don't know it, so call to me so that I can show you these hidden things, these mysteries that you don't get. So whenever you're in a hard time and you just don't see the answer and you see the impossibility, say, God, I call to you. God, answer me. Show me something hidden that I'm not realizing. And he will show you great and unsearchable hidden things. Number nine, we need to crave the divine over the material. Crave the divine. Want something from heaven more than security from earth. I want God's security instead of social security. I want God's protection instead of the police department's protection. You know, I want health from heaven instead of health from my medications. I want sleep because God lulled me to sleep instead of taking a sleeping pill. I want the divine instead of the material. Do you see where I'm coming from? Colossians 3.1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is seated. And it goes on and says, put your thoughts on things above, not on earthly things. You know, that's hard. That's tough. But when something earthly is pulled away from you, you almost have to start thinking about heavenly things. And it's good. I guarantee you, each and every one of you has had and is living in a situation where you've had something stripped away from you. It's not like you have to worry about something being taken away. It's already happened. It's gone. And you don't have it. You don't have it there to rely on. When that happens, and it's where you're at right now, crave the divine. Say, God, I want peace. You say, well, what's divine? Let me give you some examples. I want peace, God. I crave peace, God. Or maybe you say, I just don't have much faith in God. Well, crave the divine and say, God, I want more faith. Give me more faith. Did you know that hope is divine? I want the divine, God. But the divine is also material. If you say you're lacking in resources, say, God, I crave your divine provision, your supernatural provision, God. Show me your supernatural provision. You might have a lack of love, even for your kids, possibly, or for someone that you should love that you don't have as much. You say, God, I crave more love for those that I should love. Does that make sense? Crave the divine over the material. Number 10. Here's a boy. This was a big one for me this year as well. Come under God's influence so that you can believe. Now, I don't know about you. I just know about me. I have a hard time believing God sometimes. It's hard. He makes a promise. You say, God, are you really going to do it? You're invisible. I can't see you. I know you've done things in the past, but I'm having trouble believing you. You know what we got to do? We got to come under God's influence and come out from the world's influence, come out from materialistic influences and say, I'm coming under God's influence. And when you come under God's influence, he helps you to start believing him. He helps you to start believing what his promise is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. In fact, I want to point you to one of our sermon series, a podcast, Embracing God's Influence Pulls You Closer to God. It's something that we, we spoke on this year. Embracing God's Influence Pulls You Closer to, to God. Listen to that one if you get a chance. Number 11, doubt will keep God's answers from breaking through to you. I'll say that again. Doubt will keep God's answer from breaking through to you. You see, God sends his answer from heaven, but there's these obstacles, these spiritual obstacles like ceilings that keeps those answers from breaking through to us. And I had this happen several times throughout this last year. I was praying for something and I knew that God had sent the answer. I hadn't received it yet. And I could feel a resistance of that answer breaking through to me. Well, one of those resistances, if you will, is doubting God. Look at this in James 1, 6 through 7. This changed my life when I learned this. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When you ask of God, believe and don't doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The answer is can't be received. He sent it. God has answered your prayers. You just haven't received it because you're doubting. And so God has taught me, you know what? Speak to your own doubt in the name of Jesus. I speak to my own doubt. Be gone. It's one of those mountains. Be gone, doubt. I don't want any doubt in my life. And rebuke that doubt and then start receiving all the answers from God. Number 12, 
If you sow financially into the kingdom of heaven, you will reap financially as well. Period. End of story. Now, in, in Genesis, what, is, what does it mean to sow financially? Well, we give you opportunities here to sow into this church. We, in other words, to give a tithe, a tenth of what you make into the kingdom of heaven. Did you know this church is the kingdom of heaven right here in front of your faces? The kingdom of heaven is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, not just every church. They've got to be a church that believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that's a life-giving church. But you start sowing. It's like a farmer putting seed into the ground. When you give money into this church, you're sowing into the kingdom of heaven, and you are going to reap fruitfulness in finances. You are going to. You know, I always hold back on talking about money because I've been in churches where that's all they talk about, but it has to be discussed at some point. You sow, you're going to reap. And you know what the Bible says? That you can reap a hundredfold. Let me give you the scripture in Genesis 26, 12. This was monumentally changing, life-changing for me this year. Understanding, getting this was huge for me. But look, Isaac, the son of, of Abraham, planted crops in that land in that same year, reaped uh, that same year. That same year, within a 12-month period, reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. If you want to be blessed by God, you need to turn your checkbook over to the Lord. You need to turn it over and say, God, this is yours. Not 10%, 100%. But to show that it's yours, I'm giving you a tithe. Every, every week, every month, I give a tithe. But look, he sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. What is a hundredfold? It's not double, because that would be I give $10 God gives me $20. It doesn't double. That's not a hundredfold. It's not, I put $10 and God gives me a hundred dollars. That's not a hundredfold. That's tenfold. A hundredfold is I give $10 and God blesses me with a thousand dollars. Now you talk about compounding interest. You talk about a rate of, a rate of, of return. That's insanity. That's insanity. And can I, can I share just something with you? I'm not bragging. I'm giving all the glory to God. Amen. Out of our savings, uh, we were living off of savings this last year. Tina and I said, oh, my word, we can't eat all of our seed. Some of this money that we have that we're living off is not just bread. It's seed. We need to, to sow. And so we gave a certain amount of money into it. And God, at the end of this year, has allowed us to start making an income again We've already sowed more than we did in the middle of the year because he started blessing us. A hundredfold, look at this. Ten becomes a thousand, a hundred, ten thousand, a thousand becomes a hundred thousand. That's a hundredfold. Does that mean God's going to give you cold, hard cash? No, not necessarily. He's going to bless you financially one way or another, though. We prayed over our washing machine 10 times, and it got fixed every time. Never had a mechanic come out and look at it. God blesses you. He blesses you. Praise God. Number 13, financially again, I kept having the Lord tell me, you have a purse in heaven. You have a purse in heaven. You have a bank account in heaven that's not showing up on your app on your phone. <laughs> the, the money's dwindling, but guess what? You've got an account in heaven that you need to not forget. 
and I'm going to release that money to you as you need. And God has, in fact, done that in Luke 12, 33. says, he tells this rich young ruler, he says, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. See, money in heaven is secure and it's released to you as you need it. What do you need to do? Sow into heaven, sow into the church. Let the kingdom of heaven advance forcefully and powerfully. We're going to be doing an outreach to the prison. It's going to take some money. Sow into the church so we can continue outreaching at Irvin for, for the autism outreaches, for whatever, man. Sow into the kingdom of heaven, and God's going to let you reap a financial reward. Am I a prosperity teacher? Well, maybe I am. I'm definitely not a person that says, God wants you to fail, be poor, and be miserable the rest of your life, because that's not in the Bible. You're not going to find that anywhere. God wants to bless his children. Number 14, God kept telling me over and over again, this is tough. Let me tell you what, when you're laid off from a job, your ego, you know, kind of shrivels up a little bit. You start wondering and questioning and whatnot. And God kept telling me over and over again, I have endorsed you. I have endorsed you. And guess what? God has endorsed you. He's picked you. He said, I have put my seal of approval on you. I don't care what anybody says about you. I don't care what you think about yourself. You are endorsed. You are appointed by God. You're chosen of God. You are a magnet for God's blessing. So go out there and hold your head up, chin up, because I've got my endorsement on you. Amen. You don't need any big connections. You've got one big connection, and that's all that you need. John 15, 16, Jesus says, I chose you. All right, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you. I endorsed you so that you might go and bear fruit. You're not going to be shriveled up. You're not going to be fruitless, you know, with no results in your life. No, praise God. God is going to make you fruitful. He's blessed you. He's endorsed you. He's picked you. He's appointed you. Praise the Lord, man. And it's fruit that will last. Whatever you ask for in my name, the Father is going to give you. Because you're endorsed of God. Number 15, comfortably rest down in the lowest part of your weakness, accepting it, embracing it, and being confident in it. What? Be weak? Rest in your weakness? I, uh, I tell myself, you know, I, I know, I know at least some of my weaknesses. There's probably ones that weaknesses that I'm blind to. But I know some of them. And I'll remind myself of them. Steve, you're weak at this. As a leader, you're weak here, weak there, weak over there. As a family man, you're weak here. Weak. And you start rehearsing these weaknesses and you feel more and more just lame, right? Because I'm weak. But no, God tells us to rest in the lowest part of our weakness and embrace it. Why? Because God's power starts showing up when we just say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And Joseph was called out of the prison. This verse just punched me in the face. This, this year was awesome. Joseph was pulled out of prison. He had been thinking over and over again how his life wasn't going anywhere. You know, he's, he's, uh, I won't tell you the whole story. But anyways, he was pulled out of prison, put in front of the most powerful man of that time of the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. 
And Pharaoh had had a dream, and they, Joseph was, they was told that Joseph could uh, interpret the dream. And here's what Joseph said. Look at this. I can't do it, but God will. Amen. He was in the lowest part of his weakness. He said, I can't do it, but God will. Now, what do we say, men of faith, women? We say, I can't do it, but God can. That's not what the Bible says. I can't do it, but God will do it. Wow, that's faith, man. That's walking in the weakness that you have with complete and utter confidence in God. So comfortably, rest in your weakness. Name them off and say, praise God for these weaknesses because this is where God's power is going to show up. Number 16, die to your flesh. Die to your flesh. What is the flesh? Well, it's many things, and it's different things for different people. But I'll tell you, my three, my four fleshly enemies are fear, negativity, doubt, and hopelessness. And they accompanied me as close as they possibly could all throughout 2020 until I got fed up with them. I got fed up with my flesh. And Jesus started showing me, I died so that you would die. I died so that you would die. Die to what? I'm dying to my fears. Do you know how good it is to be fearless? Say, I'm not scared. It's going to be all right. You know, I am not scared. The circumstance hasn't moved. It's still confronting me, but I'm not scared anymore. Pray. That's a good feeling. I die to my fear. I die to my negativity. I die to my doubt. I die to, uh, uh, what's this fourth one? To my hopelessness. All right. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I challenge you to listen to the three-part podcast that we had this year, Dying to Yourself. Dying to Yourself. It's on SoundCloud. You can get onto our website, pull it up. Dying to Yourself. This is the secret to living is dying to your flesh. And let me tell you what, your flesh is Satan's armor. (laughs) You can't beat the enemy until you beat your flesh. And God's power has given you authority over your flesh. So die to your flesh so you can disarm the enemy from your life. Number 17, God tells me, I will fight for you, Steve. All you have to do is stand still. Don't be afraid. I, excuse me, you will see the deliverance of your God. God kept telling me this over and over and over and over again. I will fight for you. You don't have to do anything. What? God, how can I not do anything? I got to do something. Give me a break, God. No, be still and know that I'm God. Stop striving and know that I'm God. So David, King David was building a, uh, he's collecting materials to build a temple. His son eventually built a temple for him, Solomon. But look at this. There's a, a set of cities called Tyre and Sidon, uh, Sidon. And they provided more logs, more wood, than David could even count. <laughs> he, needed, he needed to build this temple. He didn't have the materials. Some outside pagan source gave him all the materials All he had to do was wait and let the materials come to him. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) So stop looking to make things happen and let God make those things happen for you. 
And I'm speaking to myself right here as, as I'm saying this. But Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14, probably one of my all-time favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's helped me many times. Moses answers the people as the Egyptians are coming behind them. They have the Red Sea in front of them. They have nowhere to go sideways. All right. Moses answers the people and says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord your God brings you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Your enemies that you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Wow. Number 18, commit your way to the Lord and he will act. And there's this nagging thing in the back of all of our minds that says, is God really, is he just sitting there, you know? Is he really going to do anything? Does God really act? And maybe he acts once, once a year, does, you know, does something once a year. But it says here, and I'm going to read the scripture, commit your way to the Lord and he will act. What, how can you get God to move? By committing your life and your way to him, your plans, your purposes to him. And additionally, in all your ways, if you just acknowledge God, his power, he will remove your obstacles as well. All right, so Psalms 37, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will move. He will move your mountains. He will do mighty Wonderful deeds on your behalf. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 in the Amplified. Trust and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insights and understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your paths straight and smooth, removing all the obstacles that block your way. What's blocking your way? Sickness, maybe. Finances, possibly. Some mental disturbances that you have, possibly, God is going to remove those obstacles out of your way if you will trust in the Lord. Furthermore, and this, this hit me this year, is so powerful, and I told you about it already, but if you trust in God, you will go farther, faster, and higher. If you trust in the Lord, say, I'm, I can't trust in me anymore. I can't do it, you know, but God can. Number 19. God has kept reminding me of his presence over and over again, letting me know that his presence is all I need in life. I, I remember many times waking up the morning this year, just kind of dreading, you know, dreading the situation we were in, laying there and just this whisper, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't need to worry. I'm with you. I'm all you need, Steve. I'm with you. I haven't left you. I haven't deserted you. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm with you. That's all we need. If God is with you, you've got all your needs provided for. He, has, he owns everything in the earth. He can just open up his resources and flood you. If you're sick, he's with you. He's your healer. You know what? If, if you're struggling in your mind, he's your deliverer. He is with you. He's not abandoned you. He is with you. Exodus 33, 14, the Lord replies to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If you will just, if you'll just be confident in God's presence, you will rest and be peaceful like you wouldn't even believe. Number 20, don't look for a reward <laughs> or personal security. Look for victory. And this was a pill, tough pill to swallow, but something that I learned, deeply learned this year. Stop looking for relief from your circumstances and start looking for victory over your circumstances. 
It's time to put on the armor of God and fight the good fight of faith. It's time to stop laying there helplessly and hopelessly saying, I can't do it. Get up and start praying and seeking God. Get up and start declaring the word of God. Start putting post-it notes on your window, on your mirrors that give the promises of God and start fighting the battle that God has for you to fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your health, for your future, for your country. God wants you to fight. All right? So stop looking for relief from your suffering and start looking for victory over your suffering. Praise God. And I found that the reward comes right after the victory. The relief comes right after the victory. Praise God. And uh, in fact, if you look at our podcast, you can be victorious like David was victorious over Goliath. Three-part series. Powerful, life-changing teaching, I believe there. Not my teaching. It's God's. It was good stuff. Number 21. There's four things that you have in Christ. There's four things. Regardless of your circumstances, if you get in Christ and you let him be your canopy, his presence all around you, you have an identity, even if you're not well known. You have significance, even if you have an accomplished squad in your life, you're significant. You have security, even if you have no wealth, and you have safety, even in this very unsafe world that we live in. In Christ, you have these four things. So just believe them. Walk in them. I was walking in this this, this week. You know, I'm, I've got these things. I don't need the world to provide these things. I don't need money. Man, God provides these things. And lastly, number 22, God is more interested in how you are to be than what you are to do. I can't tell you how many times this year I would say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And, and Tell me if this doesn't resonate with you. What do you want me to do, God? Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll be obedient. Shut up with the obedience already. <laughs> All right? We overpreach obedience, in my opinion. It's, and obedience is extremely important, but God wants you to be more than what he wants you to do. And I'll give you an example so that it resonates. When Joshua was placed in charge of Israel to go into the promised land, God didn't tell him what to do. He just told him how to be. He said, I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to be strong and courageous. And if you'll work on how to be, I will eventually tell you what to do. And he did that. But let's work on being more and doing less because God is the one that does everything anyways. He's the one that makes things happen anyways. All right, so work on being, and maybe that's where obedience is more important, is God, just show me how to be. And God's saying, be strong and be courageous. Be fearless. Doubt your doubts. Sarah gave me this one. I love this one. Doubt your doubts. (laughs) Amen. Be who God wants you to be. You know what? If he wants you to straighten up and be a better wife, be a better husband, then be a better wife and better husband. If God wants you to be a better parent, be a better parent. All right? You say, well, I'm not good at it. Well, get good at it. (laughs) Let God make you a better person. Be the person that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the rich, rich lessons. Lord, I thank you personally for the lessons you've taught me, but I'm sure each and every one of us has learned very important life-changing lessons this year 
that we need to internalize, we need to practice, Lord, we need to apply in in our day-to-day lives. Lord, help us never to just pick up on something and then not put it into practice. Lord, the whole point is to change. God wants to change us from who we are into someone better, into a better version of ourselves, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, I, I pray that each of us would journalize, make a list of the lessons that we've learned this year, Lord God, and, and, and see the richness and the fullness of the things that you teach us, Lord God. Thank you, God, that you, you haven't left us just a, like a, a piece of trash floating on the water, being blown here or there. No, God, you have a set purpose and a plan. And Lord, you're with us all the way to get to where you want us to be, oh God. So we thank you, Jesus, for 2022. Lord, I pray that it would be a, a very solid stepping stone into 2023, Lord, that we wouldn't have to relearn what we learned in 2022. Know that it's a new year, new lessons, new heights, new places to soar to, Lord God. Uh, higher, higher with you, closer to you, Lord. Hearing your voice, spreading our wings of faith and letting your word and your works cause us to soar to the heights, Lord God. Places unknown, places we've never been before. And I thank you, God, for it. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.